0: this is not complicated just green and it's time for an installment of common sense for better construction we're bridging the information gap to help you reach a brighter future in the built world today's episode is sponsored by creative interface architecture and interiors making sustainable construction practically impactful check us out at www.creativeinterface.design Welcome, friends. In this episode, I'm joined by Terry Miller, a licensed architect who also serves his community as a city councilman, chairman of the Downtown Development Authority, Board of Director for Cultural Arts Council, Community Character Coalition Board, and the Atlanta Regional Commission's Livable City Committee. The real reason that this episode is such a pleasure to share with you, because long ago when I was starting my career, Terry was one of the first people to give me a chance. We still remain close friends and enjoy hanging out together. Please enjoy. You know, I grew up in a small town, and density is a bad word. It means you're going to overcrowd things and take away my peace and quiet. And that's not what I want in my small town. But then I, was, I had a conversation in Atlanta this morning. You know, I don't know if we want to talk about density. You're going to start pushing some buttons you don't really need to
1: push. It. Red flags that go off on people. certain people will hear certain words. You know, density is one of them. And it depends on you know, where you are and when you are. In this community as an example, I mean, just the word planning was a dirty word 20 years ago. Planning, that's, that's communism. We don't do things like that around here. And, and without realizing now the very people who complain about the notion of planning are the ones who are complaining, well, why didn't we plan for all this growth that's happening? Well, that's you know, number one, that's free markets. You, you generally tend to support that, which we all generally tend to support. But the free market comes with risks. And part of that risk is that you know we have a, a lot of laissez-faire... Capitalism that, that goes on, so that people will tend to develop and build whatever is to the maximum benefit of them, but not necessarily to the maximum benefit of the community. Sometimes those interests align, but oftentimes they don't. And so, that's part of planning is to find ways of making somebody's private interest align with the public interest. And sometimes that involves concepts that are a little, a little scary to some people. The density is a good thing about the density. When you design in a dense way, okay. You're getting you're you're creating a community that it where buildings and and infrastructure is tighter and closer together, which makes it more walkable, which means you don't have to rely on the car, you don't have to rely on fossil fuels. You can you know, there's there's tremendous convenience that comes with that. And but at the same time, if you don't like the concept, okay, maybe that's not maybe that's not the thing for you. However, if you're a a private developer, density actually is good on on multiple levels because it allows you to maximize the potential of your property, so if you you have a one acre site let's say and and you've got fifty foot setback on that well that, that that limits the amount of land that you can actually build on to create to generate rent, but if you have zero setbacks on the property, you can build right up to the edge of the property well, now you've got more square foot you can you can rake out or make a profit on so so there is that double edged sword that if you you may may not like that density in the as concept, but as a building owner or property owner. You ought to like it because it does maximize your, your potential need. Yeah. So,
0: no, I, I can hear the benefits for a build, I mean, for an owner, right? It's pretty easy if I could have a real higher rent and get more out of my property. Is that the only person that density is going to benefit? Is the person who owns the property? Or who else is going to benefit from density?
1: Like I said, you know, there, there's a lot of convenience that come along with density. Density enables you to be less reliant on fossil fuels, allows you to have the convenience of living in a community that is walkable. And that's becoming a very desirable thing. That that, that that's a it's becoming sort of a, a an attraction for younger generations because they don't they're all you know our our generation wanted the, you know, a quarter acre with a white picket fence and, and the yard in the front, the yard in the back, the space around. But a lot of folks don't looking for that. Don't see that as the ideal life situation. And now they're looking right. a way to have that they can just walk downstairs, walk out the front door and down the block is a coffee shop, they can sit or their internet cafe is right there, or or there's a a theater that's, that's two blocks away that they can get to without having to get in a cab or whatever, or take an Uber or, or drive to themselves. They they like that convenience of having all the, the amenities and attractions of an urban environment within walking distance. And you can add to that, you can add hiking hiking trails and bike trails and things like that so that that can be woven into that infrastructure, which again, ours. but
0: one other area that I think would really and would really get behind this would be small businesses. If they were, Planted more in a dense urban area and had more people walking by, that there's an awful lot of opportunities there and a lot of benefits there for small business.
1: Well, I, used, I used to joke when I first woke in my first office here in downtown, w. so I, I specifically chose to, uh, located on the main street with a, a storefront in front because I, I my joke was that you know, I was expecting to get all that walk-in architectural des, design traffic. The funny thing was I actually did get a number of projects for, and, 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 uh, out of people literally walking in the door and people walk by saying, oh, I want to be an architect in the town. Hey, I'm thinking about building a vacation house. and me. So I, I actually didn't get a few projects. But the, the main reason I located in the downtown because I felt that was the obligation and responsibility of an architect who advocates for dense urban you know, city design to be in the middle of the city. And that's part of the policy aspect of, of what it means to be, to be an architect is that how you Put your money where your mouth is. You locate yourself in the middle of the community so that you can advocate for that community. If I probably stuck myself out of the suburban shopping center somewhere. How could I possibly talk about densification if I'm speaking about that in front of a vast sea of parking?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think they would even be magnified for restaurants and
1: retail and those kinds of shops as well. Well, then and again, you know, that's part of the benefit of locating in the city is that you can you literally do it at a restaurant. You will get wild traffic, but it's also nice to be around other businesses. Yeah, when you when you open up a restaurant and you see another restaurant open up across the street from you, your your first thought, if you're a good and, and, and knowledgeable or experienced restaurateur, is, on, oh crap, I've got competition. No, it's like, oh, that's great for me because that means more people will be coming by my shop, by my store. You want to have other restaurants from home because that creates a credit en masse. Restaurants benefit from other restaurants. Again, densification that all businesses benefit from if you're if you're a business or looking for location that's where you want to be there you want to be something right It you can go down to think about how people think of themselves or, or how they think about what they're going to do in their spare time what they're going to do in their leisure time. if you're going to go you have a, you got a couple of days you want to get away for a weekend or a couple or a week and you're going to go somewhere you look at it the organs go over the mall and hang out there you want to do something that has an interesting unique attraction to it you're going to go to a city or a place like charleston like new orleans like savannah where there's this wonderful dense environment and, and then you you have a place to explore. You're, going to, you're not going to want to go to some suburban place with a parking lot and and that's and, and all spread out. You're going to want to go someplace that's dense and you can explore and wander.
0: I know that there are some places where density has become a problem because it was done poorly. What are
1: some of those things, undesirable aspects of density that can hurt? It depends on the usages. I mean, that, there's of course, one of the things we've been striving for with higher densities, mixed use, yeah, the, we had this sort of notion you know, that goes back into the fifties and sixties planning era, the early modernism, where we started zoning everything by use. And so we had, you know, the a school had to go over here and retail business had to go over here and in this industry had to go over there, residents, residential had to go over here. And so we, we separated out. We found that that didn't really work out very well because you start segregating people by, by function. and it sort of saps a lot of the life out of that community because you have this monocultural buildings you know look at it that way so we want the mixed we want some mixed use but that being said of course you don't want to have a packaging plant next to your house or anything that's going to cause a lot of noise or things like that or operates on a 24-hour basis right so they're there. so how you zone is critical when you when you go for greater density because you have less of a margin fare because because buildings are closer together, because the usages are closer together. You want to make sure you get the right kind of mix. And so uh, these different mixed uses relative to each other, so that's, that's sort of watch. For a city who's trying to figure out how to apply
0: density, what are some of the ways that they can promote this in a healthy way and in a positive way when their citizens are saying, not in my backyard? And you're a city councilman. What are some of the benefits uh, for the community? We heard about the benefits for the owners of the property and we can understand the benefits for the people who are the occupants of that property but the people who are making the plans and are creating these zones and creating these districts what are the benefits that they need to try and explore and that they need to
1: try and create
0: with moves that they
1: make. <laughs> One of the things like I can say, a little more practical standpoint, is is property values. That when you when you create a denser city, you you also improving property values. Yeah, so you know your neighbor who develops a mixed use mixed use development on, on the cross of street, and suddenly you've got you know the incredible attractor in your community, and now suddenly your property value is going to go up because you have the potential, especially if you have the same zoning, you have the potential to do the same thing on your property. So you're spreading the, the the you're spreading the value of properties. There's also ways cities are now also coming up with creative ways. Of exploiting this kind of thing, like for instance, uh, uh, TADS and tax allocation District, something mm-hmm. we just implemented here in, in Douglasville, which is a way of taking the increased revenue that comes out of t- property taxes in a develop in a targeted area and putting that money back into the infrastructure. So, I mean, literally, we're sitting right now in a TAD, in a tax allocation district that that's been generated because of the development down the block where we're in the city of Douglasville is building New Town Green. And so we're using, uh, there's also a private aspect to that development. There's going to be a mixed use set of buildings that wrap around that town green. And that, that increased tax revenue that's coming from that is going to go back into repaving the streets, adding sidewalks, improving the the street lights, putting in public amenities like benches and maybe additional parks, things like that, pocket parks. So there's this wonderful feedback loop that can occur with when you start to reinvest in these districts where the densities occur. And they're... And we have tools to do that now that are given to us by the, by the state government. Pagdaba Ponce Market and Crog Street.
0: That was an area that was lots of traffic going up and down that road. But most of the time, people didn't stop by developing a property that was already there. You got the benefit of adaptive reuse and not filling the landfill so that you could build some strip mall, but instead use an existing building to create all of those opportunities for new business along
1: that same corridor. Hands down, best environmental building you can make this to read. The most environmental building is when it's already there. Absolutely. So, if you can find a way to reuse a building that's already standing, that's all that material that doesn't uh-huh. have to get produced. And so, examples like that in Atlanta, the works is a good example that. And you've got these wonderful breweries, microbreweries that have been located in there. There's a great food court. The Crog Street Market is a good example. Uh-huh. Um, that's primarily you know, restaurant vendors, is, a, is that? And then of course, there's Ponce, which is a little bit more upscale, and that's more refined looking. But again, that's a wonderful example of a building reuse. It started out as what I mean as a Sears catalog, building, I don't know it was, and then the city of Atlanta used it as a, a, a extension in mean, its city hall. And now it's a shopping center, basically a shopping arc. It's an arcade, I guess that's what we describe as an arcade. And, and it's a fantastic, fantastic feature. Yeah, uh, for like, real draw. Hugely popular. You're talking about benefits. I mean, when you take something like that and, and you do this amazing transformation, you're not only benefiting people who work there and play there, whatever you're creating a tourist attraction, creating something that brings people from who might not have come into the city otherwise, and to see that because it's interesting. Uh, Cronk Street does that, and the works now is going to be doing that. So I mean, these these uh, attractors that, that that create centers of development and centers of attraction for people to congregate. That's what that's what city life is all about. There, there, it has a it has a certain petty too. If you think about it, if you really go back in your history of re you late modern reuse, you, you can go all the way back to. I think maybe what it was one of the very first one was in Boston, was Faneuil Market and Quincy Hall. Though that that area in the center of Boston, which was, I believe, the first major readaptation of an older building or set of buildings into a modern use, and so they created this shopping area in, in downtown Boston. Uh, that was in the older section in the city, and and that became and that that became nationally famous. Where I came from, Pittsburgh, they, they there's a, a shopping area called Station Square, which used to be an old Pittsburgh and Lake Erie train station. And they turned the the original lobby of the the train station which was a beautiful ornate space. Is now this very upscale restaurant. <laughs> I could never eat there because I couldn't afford it. <laughs> but uh, I might walk through the space as a tourist, like Ooh, you know hiring okay. it. But the rest of where the sheds where all the trains were stored. That became a shopping area. So they turned that into a bunch of little stalls, and, there, and it was a wonderful example. I'll give you an example of one that actually failed, a bad example. That I, it was a project that I personally worked on, not the original project. There was a, a, there was a shopping arcade in Pittsburgh that was built back in the 80s and was called the Bank Center. And what they it was downtown Pittsburgh, and they took these, think of the picture of a, a city block that's, you know, I would 150 by 200 feet, feet walk on each direction. And there were five or six old bank buildings that faced in di- three different directions on this block. But they all kind of came together in the center of the block. And there was an alleyway that was a cut through there in some weird way. And back in the late 70s, early 80s, they got in these old bank buildings and they connect them, all five of them, together into a shopping center. And now think about it. you've got these banks that are pointing out in different directions. Now they did, they managed to keep a lot of the old infrastructure, like the, the old marble halls and the faults. The they kept. But they 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 got in these buildings and they connected them in this really weird way that it was, and I remember when I, I was in college and I would go in there, and you go in one side and get totally lost and come out another side. I have no idea how you got there. It was just wasn't very well planned. And So the, the, it lasted for a couple of years and then it actually failed, um, and then it sat empty for a number of years and it became sort of like this byline of a joke that the, the old bank started. There was a, there was a movie theater they had in there. There was a. Couple of a bunch of different shops. There was a there was a tie shop that was in the, one of the old bank vaults. You know, big round door. You know, they had. It was like propped. It was permanently propped open, so you go inside the vault. You buy a tie. Um, but the, I, and I think the primary reason it failed was because it wasn't thought through how how these buildings connected. How and it was more of an architectural issue. How do you, how you walk through these spaces? How you experience it, it was so very confusing. They had these very uncomfortable juxtapositions between modern architecture and classical architecture. So it, it failed by, uh, before the end of the 80s, I think it was. and the 90s came along, So they the buildings were bought out by a local community college, Wake Park College, and they decided they were going to add to the campus. And they took over these five opaque buildings. Instead of connecting them in some weird way, they basically restructured them so they back all, all sort of stood alone all, or became standalone buildings again, but each had a different purpose for the campus. So and, Project I, I spent how I many countless hours measuring inside these dark, damp, musky basements of these old bank buildings with rats running around everywhere. But that was my job as an intern back then in the nineties. Um, and and we repurposed these buildings back into classrooms. One of them became a black box theater. Uh, another one became a the live the campus library. Mm-hmm. But we kept the marble on the walls. We kept the old skylights, mm-hmm. which had actually been blackened during World War II during the air raid drills. They had, Took, taken um, tar and covered over these skylights. Mm-hmm. So, the actual part, I think they started during when they did the first renovation. Somebody discovered how to get tar off from glass, which was apparently using Easy Off oven cleaner. <laughs> could take off tar from uh, take the tar off the glass. So they used that ah, tons of Easy Off oven cleaner to clean these skylights. But we we repurposed the one. We left the beautiful marble stairs in, in place in the lobby with another this curved marble stair. Thanks. Nice. We kept we kept the the, the marble pilasters exposed. So, so then then we added some modern features, and that that were complementary to these old uh, classical features. The thing about bank buildings from the turn in the turn of the 20th century, what they would look like, is exactly what they look like. Um, but so th- 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 this long story maybe long longer. I think uh, is that you can re- sometimes repurposing doesn't work the way you would think it will or tended to. So sometimes you have to repurpose the reverse. <laughs> And that's all we did. It was, that it, was this, it was a third generation use of these buildings that finally found their found their calling, so to speak. Uh, so we have this great little local college that's using these buildings to maximum effect, and so now people can still enjoy the, uh-huh. the this art architecture infrastructure, or something that was already there, yeah. and had been there for over a hundred years. Hopefully, we'll be there a hundred years from now because it's getting.
0: So that's an example of the determination to repurpose and to, to maintain density and not just tear something down and, and rebuild it. So to go back to the city of Atlanta as a subject, we, we take pride that the city of Atlanta is the city in the forest, You know that there's such a, there's more tree canopy in the city of Atlanta than anywhere else. And I have a tremendous appreciation for that. But one of the reasons that I think that's happened is that every time we needed to build something for the city of Atlanta, it was a lot easier to just go further out and just continue to stretch. So then you go back into the city of Atlanta, and you drive around, and you find these rundown places, these neglected areas, these undeveloped spaces that are still right in the heart of the city, that maybe it's just a blacktop or something like that. There is tons of opportunity within the city of Atlanta to continue to develop this density, and an appealing density, a real beneficial density, and yet we continue to go further out and further out. And so that causes us to have to get in the car more often. That causes the infrastructure to have to stretch itself a little further. What are some of the other downsides of some of the problems that get created if we avoid density and we just say, well, it's easier to just go further out?
1: That very thing is probably, to me, one of the driving rationales for density, which is it's almost like the it's the land version of what I said before about building. You know, The, the, the most environmental building that you can create is one that's already there. Uh-huh. The same way with land. I mean, as they used to say, they ain't making more of it. And so, why not use a piece of land that's already been developed on? I mean, you go to any city or any major city in the country, okay, and you can look at a parking lot somewhere. You're going to find parking lots in the doubt. I guarantee you that every single one of those parking lots at some point had a building. That's just the nature of way the way cities were developed in fact then. A hundred years ago, we didn't need parking lots or we didn't need many parking lots where uh-huh. there were so, so many fewer cars. Okay. We're talking back in the early part of the, 19, the 1900s. Um, so parking lots weren't even a concept beyond know, just where we needed to store a few carriages. Uh-huh. So parking lots came along mostly in the post-war period. And every one of them just about involved tearing buildings down to put them in. So every Every site within the urban core of every major American city has a pedigree. You could... If I guarantee if you pull up that blacktop and dug down, like an, like an archaeologist would, you'd find some sort of relics or garbage or something that's on that site from what used to be there. So another thing that you might find as you're digging down into those is the
0: infrastructure that you'd need. You probably could easily connect to a whole lot of um, city amenities and,
1: and, and water, sewer, electrical. That's a good point. But that's another thing that you, another benefit of densified development is that you don't need to add to the infrastructure you already when you pick a city that in city interior site you've already got water you've got sewer you've got electrical you've got gas all the utilities are already right there along the edge of your property you're not having you're not having to have the water company come out and add another few hundred feet of line to get to your property out of the middle of nowhere you already have the water line already there um works for everything as far as that goes, so you've already got the infrastructure. You don't have to build a new road. You're already building on an existing street and don't build a new road to get to that property where you are in the middle of the city, it's already there. You do have to build a new road to get to the edge of the, the urban environment.
0: What are some of the benefits other than just easier to walk and cheaper to build the infrastructure for it? What are some of the other hidden
1: benefits that a lot of people might not expect? One of them is health, personal physical health by creating walkable cities, you're enabling people to literally do that, to literally walk places, which is what you want people to do. And study after study after study has shown people get in their cars every day are less healthy because it, you're taking away opportunities to just to, to simply move. Just The most beneficial exercise you can do is simply walk. It's the cheapest one, too, because you don't have to join a club to do it. You don't have to pay any fees. You don't have to buy any special equipment. But put your shoes on and go. Your comfortable shoes on and, and get out and walk around, or walk to the store if you can't walk to the to the local restaurant or wherever it is you're gonna go. If if you and and seek out communities that you can do. Then if you're if you're in the position in your life right now, where you can you're deciding where to move, where to live, make that criteria. Make that a priority in your decision making. Is is finding a community where you can actually walk. Uh, but on the, on the on the policy side, it's something that I've been. One of my personal advocacies has been really trying to push more architects and designers to get into public policymaking positions. Uh, It's become one of my causes. Um, I I truly believe that of all the different professions out there that that can be brought into to influence public policymaking, I think architecture is probably... If not the most, one of the most significant, and important professions that needs to be brought to the table, because the very nature of, of architecture is problem solving. You're 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 taught how to figure out how to solve a problem. That, that is how to investigate and then how to come up with ideas and then solutions that will make the situation in life better. You know, that's also what I understand politics is about, from what I hear. <laughs> um, you're you're you try to find ways of making people's lives better. At least, if you're true to your profession, if you're true to to what you, the reason you ran for office to begin with. But I would like to see more architects run for public office. We need it. I think the last really great architect we had in public office was, was Thomas Jefferson. It's been a few years. That has been a while. It's been a while. But you know, he, he was an amazing man. I mean, he had his flaws, obviously. You also have to look at what he did that benefited people. And, and of course, we don't. Very few people can acquire that many. Skills these days because all of our different professions are so specialized now. Even with that said, we still have more and more, more widely varied professions available. You can go to architecture school, come out, and don't want to be an architect. You can become a a game designer. You can become an engineer. You go into engineering. You can go into civil. You go into industrials. There's so many different branches you can go because of the nature of the tree basis of what, of, of the knowledge you get. So that so it's unfungible. Um, that training also, I think, is very, very attuned to us being able to, I believe, write public policy, because especially when it comes to urban design and um, zoning and planning, those are right up our alley. And so we need to we need to get more architects out there and be in public policy positions. If you don't want to run for office funding, join a board, join a zoning board, a planning board, join you know, the pedestrian walkway board in your community, whatever it is. Get out and do something. But I, I really encourage, I really encourage architects to go into public office because, number one, you know, we, you know we're always talking, we're, we're trying to encourage our clients to expand their horizons, to look at things in a different. way. get out of their comfort zone. That that that's the nature of bold design. We try to, we try to bring our clients along. We have these great ideas. We try to, damn it, bring yourself along. Uh, get out of your comfort zone. Do something that scares the living crap out of you run for public. Health. Get up and speak in front of a group of people in front of you front of your chamber of commerce, in your uh and whatever local you use, your Lions Club or your 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 Rotary or whatever. Get up and talk about public policy. Get out of your comfort zone. Okay. And make a difference. Why not?
0: You mentioned earlier vote with your feet and heard of the vote with your dollar and these policies and, and these decision making about how a city is planned, they are decided on oftentimes by elected officials if people want to reach out to their elected official and say that they want this in their town, they want smart density and more opportunities for having walkable cities, um, what is a, is it just reaching out to your city council people and just saying that, or what else is there? Is there other ways that we can say, hey, do you realize these other benefits? What is this? It, 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 it,
1: it's good to have the rationale behind and have, have something prepared to say as to why you want something, but just say what you want. I mean, tell, tell your council members, your mayors, your county commissioners said that that's what you want, that you want denser communities, that you want more livable, pedestrian, walkable areas within your community. That it's it's that simple. But most importantly, ask the politicians what they think. Because they're the you're. it's your decision to vote for. If they're not in line with your way of thinking, then you there's no reason to be voted for. find somebody to replace them who will think that way. Um you you gotta you gotta be bold and then and, and, it's like somebody out of everybody said it was you know that ninety percent of success is just we not <laughs> Come to the, what anybody says. If we sit there on the city count, at the dais and city council, and we have an empty room in front of us. We can do anything we want. I'm not saying we will do anything we want. I'm saying we could because nobody's paying attention. I'm not saying that we don't know that people are watching online. This all our, all of our our council meetings are on this broadcast and online, but. And good, you know. I mean, if you can't make it fun, you should be paying at least paying attention and watching the meetings online, or watch them, and even after the fact, it's hard. But the most impactful way you're going to have on, uh, to to affect city policy is to show up at the meetings and speak. Because if you, are I guarantee you, if there's an envelopment that's coming in and folks don't like it, and 50 people were sitting in those seats, all wearing T-shirts that say, you know, stop the whatever it is, city council is going to nervous. Sure. And the, and they will vote accordingly. If you're all staying home and, and you know, could care less, then you're going to get what you get. It's that simple. You got to show
0: up. I know you shared with me over the years how, you know, you worked hard, you campaigned to get to the city council position that you're in. And yet you still find yourself really at the mercy of whoever shows up to that city council meeting and complains the most. So the person who shows up and has the, the loudest complaint, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So you don't even have to run for office in order to impact public policy if you just are willing to be there and voice your opinion. Thank you for joining us, friends, for another Serving of Common Sense. This was not complicated, just green. Sponsored by Creative Interface Architecture and Interiors. Redefining the impact of great design, one client at a time. Check us out at www.creativeinterface.design.